Last Sunday morning, we began a new series of studies in the Gospel of John, and today we are continuing these studies by looking at the final section in chapter 1, and the subtitle is Jesus Calls Philip and Nathanael. John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? you shall see greater than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Several years ago, someone sent me a clip, or it was a link, in fact, to a video clip on YouTube. And if you're familiar with YouTube, you know that 99% of the things there you will find are video clips from families, from individuals, from major events taking place, and YouTube is most of the time highly entertaining. And in this particular video, you began to see a young mum and a young dad about an hour or so after their firstborn. And they, of course, were thrilled and delighted to be parents for the first time to have this wee baby in their arms. As the video unfolds, you quickly discover that the young mom and young dad had not told any of their family and friends whether the baby was to be a boy or a girl. And so there was lots of speculation in the months leading up to the birth, which would it be? And so on the day that the baby arrived, the young couple texted family and friends and said, come and visit. And they very cleverly set up a camcorder to catch the reaction of family and friends and parents as they came through the door. And you would see them, of course, laughing and smiling and just rejoicing at the birth of this wee baby. But the grandparents who saw him first, their response was remarkable because both of them just stood there and you could see them looking and smiling, trying to process what had happened. And you see them looking to the left, and then looking up at mom, looking to the right to see dad, and they just stand there for 15 or 20 seconds, and then they explode with laughter and joy and applause because it wasn't one baby, but two. And they had two little girls, and they didn't tell anyone. And that sense of being absolutely overwhelmed 
that sense of unutterable joy, that sense of we cannot take this in, we need to take some time to fully understand what has happened here. And then, of course, they're immediately thinking, we have these two wee girls to love the rest of their lives. What a joy and a thrill that is. As we come to John chapter 1 this morning, Nathaniel is introduced to Jesus, and for the first time in his adult life, he is utterly and absolutely overwhelmed by what God has done. And he finds it hard to take it in. Not only is he surprised, he's slightly stunned, and as we get further and further into the chapter, I'll begin to explain exactly what takes place. But before we do, let me ask you a question. When was the last time that God surprised you to such an extent, and I don't mean an I couldn't see that coming kind of surprise, I mean a jaw-dropping, wow, I just didn't expect that. I'm going to need time to adjust to this and understand what's happening. That kind of surprise. Whenever I ask people about when was the last time God surprised them in a spectacular manner, they usually come back with a variety of answers. But the commonality running through those answers and the responses I get are often something like this. I have not got what I prayed for, but I got everything I'd hoped for. I did not get what I prayed for, but I got everything I'd hoped for. And that is my prayer for us as a congregation, that over these next three or four months, God will work in a spectacular fashion in our midst, and we will discover He's taking us to a whole new level where He not only surprises us, not only does He lead and guide and direct us, but we find ourselves at a level of relationship with Him we have not encountered before. And that's exactly what happens to Philip and Nathaniel. So let's come to the passage in front of us. And when you read chapter 1, verse 43, what is the first thing you notice when you read? The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And as soon as you read that passage, naturally your eye goes to Philip and to Nathaniel. But let me encourage you to pause for just a second and notice how this paragraph begins. The next day. Three straightforward words that you would look at and think there's nothing significant or importance until you look at the beginning of the previous chapter or previous paragraph, and it starts the next day at verse 35. And then you go back one more paragraph to verse 29 the next day. And so here is John saying the next day, the next day, the next day, three times in quick succession as Jesus is introduced, not simply to John the Baptist, whom we touched on last week, but also to Andrew and Peter. And so that refrain, the next day, the next day, the next day, runs several times in the opening chapter. And the question is why? Why does he repeat himself? 
Now, in the first century, they had no opportunity to highlight, underline, use brackets, and so repetition draws our attention to what the biblical author's intent is. Now, please remember who this is. This is John, who begins his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John starts his gospel with some of the most profound, intimate, mind-blowing, surprising, utterly astonishing theological truth. Millions across the world have found themselves closer to Christ in John's gospel than any other passage of Scripture, because he begins by focusing on the relationship between Jesus and His Father. He focuses on the nature and the attributes of Christ, but John strikes that balance wonderfully well by highlighting profound theological truth and then very quickly moves us towards individual people who have been impacted and transformed because of that theological truth. So, John is saying, and the next day, after meeting John the Baptist, he met Andrew and Peter. And the next day, he then met Philip and then Nathaniel. And he's quickly moving you on through to let you see how the gospel impacts and transforms life. And he does it quite intentionally. And so, that gives you a little of the background. Here is John in the opening chapter highlighting eternal truths. He's highlighting mysteries and truths since the beginning of time and the nature of God, but he doesn't stop there. In John's gospel, there are no parables, none. In Mark's gospel, there are eight. In Matthew, there are 23. In Luke, there are 24. You never hear of the prodigal son in John's gospel. John doesn't record there once was a man who had two sons. He doesn't record any of the parables. What John does instead is this. He sets entire sections of chapters, sets them to one side, where Jesus has a prolonged interview with an individual. In chapter 3, it's Nicodemus. We'll see it next Sunday. In chapter 4, it's the woman at the well. In chapter 5, it's a man who has been ill since birth, 38 years disabled, and Jesus heals him like that. And so, for all the profound majesty of that opening section called John's Prologue, and it is exactly that, he quickly moves us on to focus on people whose lives are changed. And so, he does it right here with Philip and Nathaniel. Now, when we come to chapter 1, verse 43, the next day we've touched on, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, what is going on here? Jesus turns to Philip and says, come, follow me. Was it simply because Jesus was persuasive with words? Was it that he was a winsome individual? Was it that he was compelling as a speaker? I suspect he was all these things. 
But it is so much more than that because Philip encounters Christ. Not simply with persuasive words, not because he was articulate or compelling, but there are moments in the gospel that stand apart from other sections, and it often involves the call of God in the life of an individual. And when God puts his hand on the life of an individual and he speaks to them, he speaks to them with regenerating creative power and transforms them from the inside out. That's what's happening. Here is God in all of his sovereign power saying, Philip, follow me. And Philip grasps the enormity of what takes place and finds himself transformed, refreshed, renewed, and can do nothing else but to follow him. And that's why when he goes to Nathaniel, he doesn't say to him, Nathaniel, you'll never guess who I met today. Do you know that, that, uh, that guy, what's his name? Uh, his dad is jo- Joseph. Yes, that Jesus from Nazareth. You remember him? You remember he put up a new fence and fixed a stairway at uh, Mrs. Browalski, just half a mile down. Do you remember him? I met him today and you would never believe he's the Messiah. Can you imagine of all the people In fact, when Nathaniel says to him, I'm sorry, say say that again, Philip immediately says, we have found the one whom Moses talked about and the prophets wrote about. There's nothing casual here. There's nothing offhand. And that tells us a great deal about Nathaniel. Now, we don't know much about Nathaniel. He's mentioned in chapter 1. He's mentioned again in chapter 21 in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, known as the Synoptic Gospels. He's mentioned a lot. When you see the list of the apostles, Nathaniel is always known as and listed as Bartholomew, and he's always next to Philip. So, Philip and Nathaniel had a very close relationship known as Nathaniel and John, but in the others, Bartholomew. And the question uppermost in our mind is this. We don't know anything about his character. We don't know much about his background. We don't know what his personality is like, but we know this. When Philip says to him, we have found the one whom the prophet spoke about, Philip was expecting Nathaniel to respond, which means Nathaniel knew his Old Testament And I cannot help but wonder if, as a wee boy, when parents and grandparents took him to the synagogue, if his boyish imagination was captured and his heart was warmed as rabbis told him stories of Isaac and Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and Isaiah and all the others. And here was God from the moment of his birth drawing Nathaniel and drawing Nathaniel and drawing him to his encounter with Christ. I think that's exactly what's happening here. And I think it's the same with Philip. And I think this is not a new conversation for either of them, but they are so close as friends, he desperately wants to tell them. And notice what happens. He says to him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about the prophets who also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And notice how 
Nathaniel responds, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked, come on, Nazareth? Rural, rustic, lacking culture, uneducated, Nazareth? That's what was in Nathaniel's mind. And then, notice how Philip responds. Can anything good come from there? Philip says, come and see. Come and see. Why come and see? Why not, let's turn to Isaiah, or let's turn to Ezekiel, or let me show you. He simply says, come and see. Why? Because he has been impacted and transformed by the call of God. It's bubbling up inside him. He's saying, come and see. He can't wait to show his best friend what is taking place here. Come and see. Now, Nathaniel is not known for his natural ability. He's not known even as a personality. But what we do know is this, that when Philip takes him to meet Jesus, Jesus sees him coming and says, what? Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Wouldn't that be a little scary to meet someone for the first time and not know a single thing about them? Nathaniel, when Jesus sees him coming, and Jesus speaks to him in such profound terms, Nathaniel understands almost immediately what was going on. And I imagine Nathaniel just standing there and looking at Jesus, pretty much like a couple at the beginning of our sermon this morning, he had to process it. He had to take it in. He tried to get his head around this. What on earth is happening here? And he realizes that the one he had been told about since he was a wee boy, very God of very God, transcendent in majesty, is right there with him, and he can see into the deepest recesses of his heart and mind and soul. And that's why he responds, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, because he is shocked to the very core of his being. He understands that here is God himself speaking to him. This is the one whom Moses wrote about, and all of the plans and purposes of eternity past were now coming to fruition. Now, let me pause for a second, and we'll start to move towards wrapping this up. Have you ever asked yourself, in the midst of reading a passage from the Gospels, why did Jesus select Andrew and Peter and Nathaniel and Philip and James and John and the others? What did He see in them that set them apart? What was it that attracted Him to them? Did he see character, integrity? 
Did he see natural leadership? What was it that attracted Jesus to the disciples? What did he see in them? And often we ask that question. But let me suggest this. It's not the first question we should ask, because the first question we should ask is this. What did Peter and Philip and Andrew and James and John see in Jesus? That's what makes the difference. Not what he sees in them, but what they see in him. And that's why he said, Rabbi, you truly are the Son of God. And isn't it interesting? At the end of John's gospel in chapter 21, when Thomas refused to believe, it was the identity of Christ who moved him to worship and adoration when he takes the hands of Jesus in his own and he bows down and says, my Lord and my God. Parenthesis to contain the gospel of John. So let me ask, over the next few weeks, as we get further and further into January, I've highlighted a couple of the questions we touched on last week, and so I wanted to finish with them today. So let me ask, what is one thing I could do this year to increase my enjoyment of God? Well, let me suggest this, that if for whatever reason you don't have a daily time of prayer, let me encourage you with all that I possibly can to intentionally, deliberately carve out 15 or 20 minutes every day to spend it in the Lord's presence, to read the passages in John's gospel, to reflect on them. Father, what are you saying to me in this passage this morning? But don't be surprised, as we said earlier, if the passages begin to speak into your life. And as you read the passage, read it prayerfully, read it carefully. Father, help me with this situation. Help me with that situation, because what you will discover is this, like Philip and Nathaniel and Peter and Andrew, your appreciation of the love and grace of God will grow and grow and grow and grow, and it may well get to the stage where you are saying, I got nothing I prayed for, but everything I had hoped for. That's what makes the difference in our growth and our relationship with Christ. It's continuous, intentional, deliberate prayer. Put it in as part of your daily activity. Secondly, what is the most important way I will, by God's grace, try to make this year different from last year? Well, allow me to suggest this. that in each decision you face, each circumstance that comes your way in this new year, some challenging, some blessed, every necessity you have to live through, every difficulty, every challenging situation, put him first rather than last. 
Sometimes we come across a challenging situation, we respond, we know what is a good and helpful plan moving forward, then eventually we ask Him to bless what we've already intended to do. Turn it the other way and put Him first. Father, You lead me, You guide me, You show me, You help me, You grant me the wisdom I need. God often works in quiet, unobtrusive ways, sometimes silently, inconspicuously, yet consistently and eternally. He often connects the visible and the invisible, the substantial and the spiritual. He links the seemingly pedestrian and the prosaic to all of His eternal purposes and plans. And please don't be surprised when you discover that He's acting and moving in ways in your life you had not previously imagined, and you will probably find yourself gasping for breath and only able to say, you are the Son of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this passage of Scripture this morning. Thank You for all that it means to us and the challenge it brings to us. Help us, please, this week. Be men and women determined to grow in our relationship with You. Be men and women who look for Your refining hand upon us to challenge us and to change us that we might give you all the glory and honor. And Father, may it be said of us, they did not get what they prayed for, but they got what they hoped for. Father, bless us as we seek to follow you. In Jesus' name.